marriage, and other substitutes for love and community. Reproduction is a big issue for the bourgeoisie man and woman. They can only have children under very precise circumstances. Anything else is irresponsible, unwise, a poor decision for the future. They must be prepared to give up every last vestige of their youthful, selfish freedom to have children. For the mobility their corporations demand and the strain of vicious competition have destroyed the community network that long ago used to share the labor of child-rearing. Now every family unit is a tiny military outpost, closed and locked to the outside world, both in their hearts and in the paranoia turned city planning of their suburbs. Each one is an isolated emotional economy to itself where scarcity is the key word. The father and mother must abandon themselves for the prescribed roles of caregiver and breadwinner. For the bourgeoisie world, there is no other way to provide for the child. Thus the bourgeoisie couple's own fertility has been made a threat to their freedom, and a natural part of human life has become a social control mechanism. Marriage and the nuclear family, as chain gang, have survived as a result of this calamity. Much of the misfortune of potential lovers everywhere. For as the young adventurer who keeps her lust strong and her appetite whetted with constant danger and solitude knows well, love and sexual desire cannot survive overexposure, especially in the dull and lifeless settings that most married partners share. The bourgeoisie husband sees the only lover he is permitted under the worst possible circumstances. After every other force in his world has had the chance to exhaust and infuriate him for the day, the bourgeoisie wife learns to punish and ignore as unrealistic and impractical. Her desire, her every desire for romance, spontaneity, wonder, together they live in a hell of unfulfillment. What they need is a real community of caring people around them, so parenthood would not force them into unwanted respectability. So they would still be free to have the individual adventures they need to keep their time together sweet. So they would never find themselves so lost and desperately lonely. In just the same way, their steady supply of food, of conveniences, comforts, and diversions avail them not. For as every hitchhiker, every hero, every terrorist knows, these things gain their value through their absence and can offer real joy only as luxuries happen upon in the pursuit of something greater. Constant access to sex, food, warmth, and shelter desensitizes a man to the very pleasures they afford. The bourgeoisie man has given up his chance to pursue real stakes in life, for the assurance that he will have these amenities and securities. But without real stakes in his lives, these can offer him no more real joy than the company of his fellow prisoners. The Joys of Surrogate Living you can take a quick tour of all the unacted desires of the bourgeoisie man just by turning on his television or stepping into one of his movie theaters. He spends as much time as he can in these various virtual realities because he instinctively feels that they can offer him more excitement and satisfaction than the real world. The saddest part is that, so long as he remains bourgeoisie, this may actually be true. And as long as he accepts the displacement of his desires onto the marketplace for paying, by paying for imitations of their fulfillment, he will be trapped in the empty role that is himself. These desires are not always pretty to see played out in technicolor and surround sound. The bourgeoisie man's dreams and appetites are as infected by the fetishization of power and control as his society is. 
the closest he seems to be able to offer to an expression of free, liberated desire, is the fantasy of all-consuming destruction, that appears again and again at the black heart of his wildest cinematic fever dreams. This makes sense enough. After all, in a world of nothing but strip malls and theme parks, what honest thing is there to do but destroy— the bourgeoisie man is not equipped to view his desires as anything but unfortunate weaknesses, to be fended off with placebos, because his life has never been without the pursuit of pleasure. He has spent several centuries achieving higher and higher standards of survival, at the cost of everything else. Tonight he sits in his living room, surrounded by computers, can openers, radar detectors, home entertainment systems, novelty ties, microwave dinners, and cellular telephones, with no idea what went wrong. The bourgeoisie man is only possible by virtue of the blinders he wears that prevent him from imagining that any other way of life is possible. As far as he can tell, anyone from the impoverished migrant workers of his own nation to the monks of Tibet would be bourgeoisie, too, if only they could afford it. He does his damnedest to maintain these illusions. Without them, he would have to face the fact that he has thrown his life away for nothing. The bourgeoisie man is not an individual. He is not a real person. Although if he was, he would probably live in Connecticut. He is a cancer inside all of us. He can now be cured.